Hey everybody, welcome back to Bit White of the Podcast, and today we are talking about something Matt has wanted to talk about since we started this podcast, the Dreamcast. As always, I am Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we have a special guest, Charles. Hello. So, Charles, why do you think we asked you to come on today? Um, because I probably gushed about the Dreamcast in the uh, small window of us hanging out at, uh, <laughs> at Pack South. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if in the right environment, uh, in the right uh, with the right encouragement, I could talk about Dreamcast all day. I'm excited because I know almost nothing about the Dreamcast, and so Matt will be leading this episode today. I will but, be. No way. Matt's gonna lead this episode. Yeah. I'm sure we don't have anyone more qualified or more excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode's going to be 50% of me telling you about the Dreamcast and 50 50% of me telling you why the Dreamcast is the best console ever made. Okay. I can rock with that. <laughs> um, so our introduction question is um, for everybody. Uh, did you own a Dreamcast? And if so, what was your favorite game? And I guess we'll start with Kate first. Not me. Um, so I did not own one, but I had a really close friend who we, we shared the same copy of a Sailor Moon movie together. Like I'd have it one week, she'd have it one week. And we went over to each other's houses, I got to play her Dreamcast. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I just have to say my favorite game was the Resident Evil one on there. The, um. Code Veronica? Yes, because my favorite Resident Evil game is Code Veronica, so it has to be that that's my favorite Dreamcast game. <laughs> Respectable. I got it. <laughs> um, that's, that's all I got. I don't have much of much stories other than my Wii bonding brought me to this console. There you go. Adrian, what do you <laughs> got for us? Uh, no, I didn't own a Dreamcast. I'm pretty sure I've talked about that before, but my uncle did because he had like all like the early consoles growing up. Um, and I think really the only games I played on there were was Sonic. I think Sonic was like the main game I played on here. Like going through like a list of Dreamcast games, I played a lot of these. The other ones like on PlayStation or Xbox. Like I saw Jet Set Radio. I was like, oh, did I play Jet Set Radio on Xbox or did I do that on Dreamcast? I'm pretty sure I did that on Xbox. Um, so I guess I would have to go with, um, yeah, my little Hedgehog Man. The Sonic Adventures Two is dope. <laughs> I had to parse through my brain to see was that a GameCube game or was that a, a Dreamcast game? <laughs> I was trying to name one. Yeah, it's crazy. Like when actual games came out on like various consoles and stuff, and like you could just play whatever you wanted. It was what a weird time. Yeah, because I actually don't think because I I know I played Code Veronica on the GameCube. I don't even know if I played it on the Dreamcast. I just know that that was a game. Well, that it was came on the Dreamcast. It came, well, it started on the Dreamcast. So we'll there we go. Talk, we'll talk it was about a good that. answer. I gave a good answer. <laughs> it was made, you know, Yay, for the Dreamcast before it came to the other place. Is it uh, other platforms? Charles, what do you have? Uh, I was kind of in the same boat where I was trying to make sure that I listed games that. I started playing on Dreamcast versus other platforms. <laughs> uh, and, and I have a pretty strong list of, of, of games on that. But my favorite would be Shinmu because Shinmu is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, but the game that actually pushed me to buy the Dreamcast was Sonic Adventure, the first one. And, and so, yes, I did own one. Interestingly enough, I owned it after it died. I didn't realize that at the time <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a child. Um, it was pretty much on the tail end of its relevance 
uh, when I purchased it. Uh, I got I, I asked my mom to buy it for me for ninety nine dollars at Sears. Uh, it launched for one ninety nine, I believe. Yes. And I was I saw Sonic Adventure and I was like, this looks absolutely amazing. I want this. I didn't think she was gonna buy it for me, but she did. I just I caught on one of those blue moons and yeah. That was the beginning of my Dreamcast experience. Did you end up getting one of the white uh, case ones or the black case ones? White. Okay. Because I didn't even realize, which I guess we'll talk about the cases later, but that they even came out with a black case for North America Dreamcast until like 2009 or something like that. Like way after its existence. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> I happened to see a picture and I was like, wait a minute, they made a black one? This is crazy. <laughs> um Obviously, I owned one. Um, I kind of had kind of same experience with Charles. It kind of was like it's in Toys R Us, and my and I saw it like in back when Toys R Us before they went bankrupt or before they became Jeffries or whatever they are <laughs> now, if they exist. Um, I happened to see it for my birthday, and I was like, oh yeah. And my parents like thing, and I said it wasn't. I think mine was only like ninety nine dollars as well, even though I got it like new. But this is also like which we'll kind of talk about. They did a lot of price slashing throughout their three-year term and it's like yeah and so i got one of those and played it a lot i owned a lot of games on there um obviously because they had problem with piracy which we'll go into (laughs) i owned any game i wanted um but my probably my favorite game would probably be the 2k nfl 2k series and probably nfl 2k1 because this is obviously peak uh sports years when sports games were relevant for a long time before they died Oh my Thanks god, you. is that what's going to happen this episode? It's going to, like, your sports games and your Dreamcast are going to mix and we're going to get, like, a super mat? Well, you might be. Yeah, because it's, it's it, in here somewhere. It, it does play a role in a lot of things, actually. You'll be surprised. Uh, EA yeah. plays a good part in killing Dreamcast. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and then sports games are involved. Uh, but yeah, um, that would probably be my favorite one. Obviously, I played a lot of them in general. Sonic Adventure would probably be my second favorite, especially the second one. I played so much Sonic Adventures game. And but no, that but yeah, so obviously we all played some of it, so I guess we'll get back into some background history. The Sega Dreamcast re- officially released on November 9 November 1998 in Japan, and then it did not actually come into the North America until this was the best thing they kind of did it with the marketing of 99 1999 for September 9th of 1999, and they basically marketed it as 99 for 199. <laughs> I, but I got it for that 99, so I was really <laughs> Yeah, <on> yeah. <laughs> but that was their marketing ploy. So it came in September 9th of 1999. It didn't get to the EU until October of 1999 as well, because the EU somehow was always behind in everything, I mm-hmm. realized. Um, it's the Sega's fifth and final major console. Um, obviously, they did a bunch of other like consoles before. They, I mean, they had like the 32-bit was an expansion. They had like the... What was it the Game Gear? The Sega Game Gear? Did anybody have a Sega Game Gear? A massive, huge. You think of it yeah, like an Nintendo I, I Switch? Yeah, I a Sega Game Gear. I, I, I just skipped uh, over the Sega, the Sega Dreamcast, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get the Sega <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, it came out before actually. Said. <laughs> I yeah. played friends' games, Game Gear. I yeah. never. There was nothing that ever just pushed me to go and buy that. It looked like I a Nintendo like Switch that. before a Nintendo Switch, Kate. I oh, for sure. Like everybody to know that. In the notes, Matt has final in all capital letters because he needs business. He's driving that point home. <laughs> the Sega Game Gear is disgusting looking. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like that, like, like that Donkey Kong game that was like just Donkey Kong on oh, it. Like, it that's does look like, like a Switch, though. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> oh, straight up. Straight up. 
People definitely have forgotten about the Game Gear. It was like when I played it, it was really cool. But just I think I had one of these, but we didn't. So I think I had one of these, but my grandpa bought it for us at a flea market, and he said it was a GameCube. And so, like, it just stayed, or not a GameCube, a Game Boy, sorry. He said it was a Game Boy, and it just sat oh, that's at hilarious. my grandma's house, and it was, like, the communal handheld, but nobody ever talked about it, because it was never a game, it, was, it wasn't an actual Game Boy, and then my cousin got an actual Game Boy Color for Christmas, and so then we all just started playing that, and this, I, I don't know what happened to it, but it sat in a box in my grandparents' house, and we just thought it was some, like, Ross, like, Ross knockoff thing. That I think I actually That is really one. messed up that wow. the Game Gear served as the knockoff Game Boy in your household. That's very wow. rough. Sorry, Sega. That my grandfather purchased <laughs> from a flea market. The, you know what's funny? Like, uh, It's probably an age thing, but just looking at the Game Gear, it just looks so antiquated. It looks like something you can only get secondhand, even new. Like, It yeah, just it looks so old. It looks like the Ross... <laughs> third-party thing that Ross makes. <laughs> Have you it's... seen their MP3 players? That's the equivalent. Oh, man. I can rock with that. <laughs> um, obviously, <laughs> including the Game Gear Sorry, and other stuff, um, it came after the massive failure known as the Sega Saturn in 1995, um, which we'll talk more about that. That thing definitely was uh, very expensive and bombed in so many ways. Um, it was actually the first of the sixth console generation which actually includes the PlayStation 2, the GameCube, and the Bulletproof original Xbox. Now um, that one I got for $174 at a cons. Nice. <laughs> um, games. Yeah. People just seem to forget that it actually is in that console generation, but it came, comes out two years before any of the other ones do. And so it just kind of, it's in this weird tweener time of like, Right after, you know, they made the Sega Saturn in 96, and then by 1998, they already released another whole major console. Um, Sega did some weird things in the 90s. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Um, and then, the, obviously, as I said, we said before, it only had a shelf life of night from 1999 in the U.S. to 2001 that in the U.S. That is really sad. Yeah. yeah. I honestly think if it would have come out, like, two years after it actually did, it probably would have done better. Oh, there's a lot of people that said that it just happened to come out before time. Yeah, um, certainly. Overall, it sold about, it said 9.13 million units. I don't know if this was like just like during its branch because I saw the numbers said it got into the 10 million units, but it possibly could be because while the games were discontinued and everything like sales and everything were discontinued in 2002 in the U.S., in Japan, they actually sold games and made games until 2007. They were just never came to like the U.S. or anything, so... Units sold about 9 to maybe 10 million, which is not great on the giant scale, but apparently still better than the Nintendo Wii U. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to comment on the Wii U. <laughs> I refuse. Um, I forget that that, was a, that that was a generation of, Wii, of Nintendo console. Yeah. I got to throw that one in there because it is like an updated like console as in it came out a few years ago that people forget exist. <laughs> Matter of fact, you know what? I am going to say something about the Wii U. I'm going to say one thing. <laughs> I really, I resent that console because I worked in retail at the time and it made my job hell. It made it really difficult trying to explain to just regular people that weren't really interested in games that much but were trying to buy Wii or Wii U for their families trying to explain what it was. 
I could not explain what it was. I didn't understand why it existed. <laughs> but, like, the biggest problem I ran into was that people thought that the Wii U worked with the Wii itself. Like, they thought the little, <laughs> like, the little console part, they thought that was just the Wii and they just needed the the tablet to run with that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Except for you worked that. in retail and everything, and I, as a person who's making these notes and everything, still do not know what the Wii U does. Well, oh, yeah, I still don't. It looks like a Sega Game Gear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> so the funny thing was uh, I actually entered retail, uh, or I was in retail, but I started working at GameStop in 2013, and we always pushed Wii stuff because we could explain that to parents. Mm-hmm. We never touched Wii U things. <laughs> never. Because yeah. it was, you weren't going to get them to buy it. Get them yeah. to buy that extra Joy-Con, tell them to put the thing on their wrist so it doesn't fly into their TV. You can explain that. Yes. <laughs> it was weird explaining the Wii too, but that's that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> um, obviously, like I said, this is probably all the short little background notes, probably because like this is going to be a little different from me. Obviously, everybody kind of knows how I do things with the nice formula, but we're kind of going to get probably do a lot <laughs> nice of nice formula. I do use a formula. Mad and Adrian, y'all suck. I had the best formula. <laughs> I was say Matt and Adrian, I don't even get my own name now. All right, yeah. See, look, that's how much that's how much this formula is throwing me off. <laughs> um, but no, so. I guess, so probably we're going to go ahead and get into the but why those, as in, like, I'm going to talk about the entire lifespan of, like, their massive two years of relevance. <laughs> yeah. So I feel, I feel like this is going to go, like, very high, and by the end of this, Matt's going to be crying and, like, going to break out his, his dream cast from his closet. And then we're not going to see Matt for, like, four years. I, I used to break it out all the time, but I've actually left it back in my parents' house. It's probably the only reason I haven't broken it out, because I used to break it out every five years or so and play at least Sonic Adventures. I can say that he's not joking, because at least every two years in this relationship, he's broken out Morrowind or his old 360 Guitar Hero guitars, which are still in our house. He has, like, four of them. So Respect. I can definitely believe that he would do that with the Dreamcast, too. <laughs> I, I would have done the same with the Dreamcast. I mean, I did for a while, but then it suddenly disappeared one day. And my mom holds true to the fact that <laughs> she says she didn't sell it to anyone or give it to anyone. But I'm pretty sure she, that she did. She gave it away. She probably put my it on the mom, table and said, like, if it disappears, it disappears. Yeah. My mom has reached the age where she has forgotten all of the things in my life that she has given away. And she will now bring them up. And I'm like, wait, what? You said, oh, no, no, no. You see, <laughs> that's, what happened that's... was Sophia came over and she just really hated it. Kate's lost consoles are like other kids, like lost turtles. <laughs> oh, no. I have lost dogs that also went to my aunt's houses or my wow. comadre's houses. Well, before Matt gets into his but why, though, we do have an extra special ad just for you. If you're listening to this podcast stuck inside your house with your significant other, I want you to pay close attention. Today's sponsor, Manscaped, can help you out and make the most of your time together. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving your balls. It's time to quarantine Manscaped and chill. But now that we've said what they want us to say, here's what we think about the products. Yeah, so Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package. It's the perfect package for your package. 
In the Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the Lawnmower 3.0, which is waterproof, cordless, that is has this crazy technology that doesn't nick your balls when you put it next to your balls. Did you hear me? It doesn't nick your balls. That's the best part. But it also comes with some other liquid that are going to help you kind of round out your manscaping routine, which are also fantastic. Wow, you said balls a lot. Because you know why? We're all about keeping good ball hygiene. And I don't know about you all, but as we all know, we all are from Texas, and I've lived here the majority of my life. And we have a saying go, we sweating our balls off. And so you know what that means? Basically, make sure your balls are in good hygiene. Let's not forget about the crop preserver, the anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, right? So why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? So I obviously don't have balls. But as Bruce Wayne's bat peen has shown us, significant others very much like them to be shaved. You're probably spending more time than ever with your significant other right now. And let me tell you, we notice if it is not kept nice down there. So um, the cool thing is, is that subscribers get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think quarantine's going to be done next month, no matter what people say. So having them delivered will help keep you nice and fresh throughout this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, for a limited time, subscribers also get not one, but two free gifts. The Shred Travel Bag, which basically is a bag for all of your wonderful trimmings. And you also get the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. They are the most comfortable boxer briefs I own. I love them. If I could buy more of them, I would. So, you can get 20% off and free shipping with code BUTWHYTHOUGH at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code BUTWHYTHOUGH. Most people are loading up on toilet paper, but I'm loading up on Manscaped products. Help your relationship out during this quarantine, your partner, your body, and more importantly, your balls. Well, thank you. So, to get into the BUTWHYTHOUGHs... Not going to be a successful franchise for the first time in like two months since I've made one. It's going to be the successful launch overall. So surprisingly, despite being around for two years, the launch for the Dreamcast was actually very successful. Um, The launch in Japan, however, it was deemed successful, but it still kind of was a disappointment because they obviously ran into a few issues. Uh, One, this is also like predating like people having, I guess like how they are now. I guess what we're dealing with now with the Nintendo Switch where you can't find them. Uh, basically, people pre-ordered so many, were so high for the thing that they failed to have any in stock. So basically, if you didn't pre-order the Dreamcast, you actually couldn't buy one for like when they came out. <laughs> um, this was basically because of this new, I guess, technology they were using, this different thing called these P- Power VR chips were causing the stall of production because making them was basically hard. Um, so basically they would blow up and so every time they'd spend, you know, they try to make one, it would fail, fail, and then they'd make one. Like, oh, we can make a new console. Then they try to make one, fail, fail. Oh, we made one. We got two consoles out of the 10 attempts we did. And so it was stalling production of making these Dreamcast. Um, also some of the games were ended up being delayed at launch, which definitely hurt the launch in Japan because it only released with four games. <laughs> so they had this brand new console, um, that basically get hard to get, but you can only play four games and Sonic Adventures was not even one of them. Or Virtual Fighter. <laughs> they were clearly rushing to market because of the Sega Saturn, I guess. Yes, which basically all this was also because they had just sold the Sega Saturn in 1995 and people were still mad going, I just bought this console like a year or two ago. Why do I have to buy a new console already? So people in Japan were not like the happiest of things. Yeah, and but the, apparently- didn't the Genesis do like terribly? Didn't it have like a huge drop off? Like, isn't that like the failure E kind of? 
thing for for Sega? Well, it was the Sega Saturn, not the Sega Genesis, which we kind of, if we ever had a Sega episode, realized Sega just made a ton of things called Sega this, Sega that, Sega this in the 90s in like a five, six year span. But yeah, no, the Sega Saturn, yeah, basically they had Japan, they just had this game, this console release in 1995, and then basically by 98, they're like, hey, we're going to do this, we need to, we're putting a new console out, and then like I said, between the high demand and everything else, it just kind of was a disappointment, people didn't, were still sad. Um, Man, they still I, like out pre-order sales. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And someone's like, "Hey, my Xbox is terrible. Buy my new Xbox." I'd be like, "Uh, I'm a wait." Well, that's <laughs> the, like we'll kind of get to my thing after we get up to the uh, North American launch. But like, the North American launch was actually the same issue. But apparently, the pre-orders were also for, through the roof. It actually had the highest. It actually doubled the record for highest pre-orders, beating the original PlayStation. Um, and that basically, yeah. Um, it basically deemed like the when it on the day of launch the biggest day in entertainment history or whatever, and then like it was like the most anticipated console in history. This was obviously for time, as we kind of think, but like as the time when it came out, like said it had well like the highest pre-orders ever. It was like one of the fa- it was the fastest selling console ever at the time to get to a million consoles sold. It only took two and a half months, which may seem like crazy now, but like back then, like especially between shipping parts and everything else, the way we do, um, yeah. Um, also, the U.S., uh, they were able to correct a lot of their mistakes because they released on in Japan, um, like as we said, like six months prior, or actually almost a full year prior, because they wanted to see how the reception would be because of the Sega Saturn, and so then they realized it was kind of good, so then they made some fixes, they got some new games out, and then they released in the U.S., so the U.S. actually had 18 games at launch. It's a and massive so, difference. Yeah. <laughs> four versus 18 is <laughs> four times the amount. Um also, as we kind of mentioned before, p- price did play a factor, especially when it did come out. Uh, PlayStations at the time were going for two ninety nine, and especially and they were always the expensive ones. So we're like, hey, one hundred ninety nine at the time, one hundred dollars is a lot cheaper, you know, than yeah. the two uh, off. So that was one of the big factors that did play into like people were kind of excited, like it was just a cheaper console and stuff, especially with everything you got. Um, which kind of leads to like it was great, it launched and everything, and then. Um, Everything went downhill. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of moving to the next part of the launch is post-launch, or basically the end of Sega as a console producer. Um, We kind of all mentioned the Sega Saturn. Uh, The Sega Saturn cost Sega basically so much money. They lost basically 75% profit in the U.S. alone. I think like 60% profit in uh, in Japan. It lost them so much money. (laughs) I I don't know about you all, but... That was a console, that was probably the only console that none of my friends owned. Not a single one of them had a Sega That was the same. It was also, like, super expensive from what I remember. Mm -hmm. It was one of those, if anybody owned it, I was like, oh, you're rich. (laughs) I was like, like, wow. Uh, But yeah, um, that was definitely something that nobody owned. Apparently, like, people say, like, you know, like, people going back and looking at it said it, like, ended up being, like, not as bad, but just how much it, like, as a console overall, but as, like, an actual, how much it, like, tanked money-wise and everything, which is, I don't know. The only game I remember from Sega Saturn is a really bad Zelda game. That's, that's all I know. (laughs) Yeah, I never played one, to be honest. That's, like, one of the few consoles I know I've never played. (laughs) <laughs> I 
Yeah, looking at it, I mean, it launched in Japan for 44,800 yen, which like in today's conversion rate would be like $440, which is ridiculous. And released in the U.S. for about that price, about $400. Wow. $400 for a console. And this is also looks like that. Oh my god! Shout out hey, to shout the Mad boys, Cats, Mad Cats for making a better controller <laughs> than the actual Sega Saturn controller. Yeah. yeah, Sega Saturn was a disaster. Obviously, they lost fans over this. People kind of waited. This became like one of the first like we're gonna wait and see consoles to see what happens. Um, which was weird because all the pre, you know, like I said all the pre-orders. So much of the pre-orders were good. Like it was still a wait and see console overall. Um, obviously, and then it turned into Sega basically abandoned it in 1998. Like, basically, they just shut it all down, discontinued it. They withdrew all support from the U.S. They didn't do anything. And so, um, basically, this pissed off all re- retailers and basically the entire West <laughs> at the time. Um, thing, because apparently their goal was, when they were making this, was they were going to run all 2D games through the Sega Saturn with the 3D games going on this new Dreamcast. Which clearly was not a good idea. <laughs> no, that did not no. work out. Yeah. Um, also, we tend to forget that Sega uh, that Sega made this basically thir- what is called the Sega Genesis 32X bit, which is essentially was a giant pack. I think that expansion that you put on your Sega Genesis that ran in 32 bit. Which also I had did no idea what well. that thing was, and I had it. I I had seen it. <laughs> I had no idea what it did until I pretty much did this re- research. Because to be honest, I actually thought it was its own console for a while. I realized that it, no. looks like a freaking console. What? <laughs> no, I think it's just the top part you put on it. I believe. I could be wrong. No, I think I think it was. Yeah, it was just the top part. You just, yeah, it was just the top jam part. Jam that in there. Yeah, I had no idea what that was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was apparently just a. I don't want to have anybody make fun of the OG Xbox again. Because <laughs> we had Transformers for consoles before. I was, I was wondering when we were going to get to it, but yo, the Dreamcast controller is disgusting looking. Like that thing. Wait looks a minute worse. now. That thing looks disgusting. It's gross, <laughs> and I hate it. Yeah, we'll, I, we'll get to it in the hardware part, but I, controllers are great to me. I don't know why people waiting. hated that controller so much. I know why they hated it. We'll we'll get there. Yeah, we, I, I was um, a child, and my hands were small. <laughs> you played with an N64 controller that had a random stick in the middle. Anyway, <laughs> I could grip it like this. Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't want to hear anything about small hands because, as a as a person whose hands kind of reach max size when I was in my teens, <laughs> I played the actual Xbox like a freaking Duke pad. <laughs> um. But probably one of the... So, obviously, you had all these issues. And so, Sega, at this point, when they're making this console, is already pretty much broke hemorrhaging money, which is still kind of funny. They decided we're going to make a Dreamcast because they're, like, just hemorrhaging money in general and going... Thing. Um, the PlayStation 2 gets announced. <laughs> and we talked about on our Final uh, Fantasy episode how kind of Final Fantasy VII actually kind of led to this kind of rise of, you know, PlayStation and Sony in general. The funny thing was... Final Fantasy VII actually apparently really didn't affect sales as much as people thought it was going to in the Dreamcast because pre-order and everything would go. However, um, when it did get announced, um, that's when stuff really started tanking because people started just saving money and not passing on it. Also, what they realized is 
while Dreamcast was fighting Sony, you know, and they were getting this huge market, and, you know, Sony actually wasn't losing anything in the market. What was happening, however, is, as we talked about also in the Final Fantasy episode, people were actually trading their Nintendo 64s in for Dreamcast, and Nintendo was actually tanking, which we kind of mentioned before, like, Final Fantasy kind of brings this decline of Nintendo. Well, apparently, Dreamcast also helped this decline of Nintendo from its dominance. Um, and then, obviously, those Dreamcasts then got turned in for PS2s. <laughs> I stayed um, true to my Dreamcast. I held, I, I held on to it as long as I, I did could. Too. Yep. So did I. Um, and, how gross. Um, but then, obviously, outside of the PlayStation, probably the other biggest thing would be third-party support. And here's where we get to talk about the fun part of EA and essentially Square, or now known as Square Enix, announced they would not make any games for that platform. And so this basically Jerks. killed a lot of all other stuff anyways, and especially when it came to, like, outside the launch, like, moving forward, you were just not getting these third-party games, and especially EA, because much people claim to, I hate EA, EA is around and so big because people buy EA all the time. <laughs> yeah. And 2K was right there killing it left and right on the yeah. Dreamcast. Yep. But the funny thing is, so EA basically was a big killer in this proponent of EA didn't like the power VR chips that we were talking about because over the already established 3D FX, and I'm not even going to go into the technical specs of all this. That's all I just know about manufacturing of the processor of the 1995, 96. <laughs> but apparently they were there trying to go... There was a processor with... war, just like there was a printing war <laughs> yeah, so, back in the 80s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently EA wanted to use the already established part. Uh, Sony did not, or yeah, excuse me, Sega did not, and so EA kind of bowed out. Also, Sega, EA wanted lots of money, and they wanted all the licensing money that they've been getting from all the Sega Genesis and everything, and Sega Saturns. But uh, Sega's broke, and so they obviously can't even afford this, and so kind of what they wanted to do was EA wanted exclusive sports rights. And Sega said no, because apparently they actually really liked uh, Visual Concept 2K. <laughs> <laughs> they actually really liked what they were seeing. One, they purchased it for ten, like some of the rights for like ten million already in the contract. But they also really liked the series and what they were producing, and so they didn't want to give exclusive rights to EA. And so then EA said, "I'm out," and which is probably for the best because I'm not going to lie, the 2K series, especially when it comes to that era, is probably ten times better than anything EA. Oh, did. at that time, the 2K games were like leagues ahead of the the EA games, yes. in, in my experience. Yeah. Um, also, for people who don't remember, this is also like sports games prime year. So like sports games at this point were probably like top sellers every single year. Mm-hmm. This is before Halo, or Call of Duty, any of the stuff we see every even. Um, so, you know, you had like FIFA, Madden, NBA Live, you know, and then we get the 2K stuff that comes in later. But um, it was it, that basically was a gigantic blow to them and that led to everything. And then, obviously, probably last part is, obviously, we kept talking about all the financial loss. Basically, Sega of Japan and Sega of America, because apparently they were one company split in two different things, basically hated each other at this time, and they just fought back and forth on what they were doing, whether it be manufacturing, whether it be shipping, whether it be development. They were just fighting each other all the time. Um, they were revolving doors of CEOs keep coming in and out. I think, like, the Sega of America guy left immediately, and they had other people come on. It got if my, so if bad my that, console launched with 18 games and, and the other one, or, or mine launched with four <laughs> and somebody else launched with 18, I'd hate them too. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it was so bad that essentially the president of Sega resigned in 1998. Um, Kate, I'm going to need your help again. Uh, Hayu Nakayama? Hayao. Hayao. Hayao Nakayama. Hayao Nakayama. Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah. Um, 
He basically ran Sega, been the president of Sega from 1983, and basically because of the Sega Saturn failing all the way to Dreamcast, he resigned in 1998. Um, Thank you for giving me my Dreamcast, but (laughs) Sega took a, this is also the first year in 1998, Sega took a loss in their first year in their entire history. And Sega, as we said, had been around since probably the 80s, if not early 80s, if not even earlier than that, depending on what we're going back to the arcade regime. It's interesting uh, that they didn't take a loss during the Saturn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently, they had so much money that they were just raising stuff, and then apparently it just... Oh, that's bad. even worse then, because essentially the Saturn would have burned through their reserves. Yep. And then by the time they yep. come... Yep, basically they, that's what happened. Oh. So basically by the time they have launched this, Sega Saturn has already burned all of their profits, all of their reserves, and now they finally have taken a loss. Um, this also left the customers real depressing. Yeah, this also left the customers with no support or gain for an entire year, basically of 1998, basically the year before. Essentially, they dumped the Saturn, Sega Saturn, and they made no gain for the entire year. <laughs> and so this basically, I don't know about you all, but if we went an entire game with a company not producing a single game, that'd be kind of weird. Yeah, that'd be super yeah. weird. Because we may not think about it, because obviously we think of these big companies and these big games, but we forget that they also either third party or you know help publish, develop like smaller games that come out. Nothing. Um, and obviously we had the general issues between just fighting marketing in general for the Dreamcast was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> it was basically the slogan of "It's thinking" was kind of their slogan. <laughs> yeah, I never got that. that um, thankfully, that wasn't ever the hook that had to yeah. <laughs> draw me yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, obviously, they just didn't have money. Essentially, all this is to say, Sega doesn't have another profitable year until 2003. <laughs> yeah, so okay. they basically ha- they hemorrhage money from the Sega Saturn and basically start losing money all the way down to essentially they cut off the Dreamcast and basically almost stop the entire, basically, production, everything, to where basically they're not making anything. And so they this made a profit. All, soft- all software, right? Yeah, and they basically turn into games and other software and development stuff. So, question: Why are we talking about this? That seems like a very big failure. Because so it just, was amazing. <laughs> because the console itself, which we'll kind of get into right before us today, of the hardware, um, was what? amazing. But the problem is, this company at the time made so many bad decisions, and essentially, they're like, "My last dying breath. Here is this masterpiece." But I'm definitely <laughs> dying of giving all you this. I, all I know is you wa- you love. The Zune, you had a Microsoft phone. Thing was amazing. All I'm learning is you just love things that don't come out at the right times. Okay. I love. I also love the Zune. I also had See? a Microsoft phone. I did not like it though. I hated that phone. But the <laughs> Zune, the Zune definitely was a wonderful piece of uh, hardware. Matt the still Zoom. uses his Zune. Yes, I have the Zune HD Touch. Very nice. Oh. Yes. But no, um, sadly, it just came out at the wrong time. Everybody wanted to do the Apple stuff. It was just late to the market, which is kind of weird. Because this one, kind of, as we said before, Charles said, it's probably early to the market, whereas everything Microsoft ends up doing is late to the market. Mm-hmm. Which we'll oh. kind of get into is these companies almost mirror each other, and they almost work kind of each other. Poor Matt. So <laughs> 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 um, kind of transition this hardware, um, essentially, it was weird because other games they always stuff consoles before they always just made their own custom hardware their own stuff like this is what i made this is my console 
Um, the Dreamcast said, no, we're going to basically do what we call off-the-shelf components, where they took existing parts and components and said, we're going to make it out of this. Um, this is basically allowed them to cut costs both on development and, well, that price. It also made it easier for developers to make games because they're already using existing technology and existing stuff instead of making custom things. I don't know if it's a great equivalent, or it's probably a better equivalent because they're out of business now, too. But Scion did that when they built their cars. So essentially, a lot of the Scions have Camry parts and other Toyota parts. So where if you have another, if you have a car that's coming from overseas, most of the time, like Kia, it takes a really long time to get the parts in or it's upcharged. But because Scion did essentially what Dreamcast did, where they reused parts that were already existing, it meant that large, large sales like the Camrys, they could use any of those parts, so it made it easier to repair and stuff like that. Uh, However, they're also now out of business. So go ahead and count the Scion as another thing I love that is dead. So I never <laughs> I owned one, one, but I was a big fan of those. I thought I they were amazing. One. Nice. I love my little boxy car. It's perfect. You got the XB? XD. Oh, the XD. Okay. XB. I loved. Everybody hated it so much, and I was like, "This is the coolest thing in the world," and now it's dead. So yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's this is the household of dead things, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Um, Let it the, go. <laughs> but no, this obviously allowed them to cut costs, do all this stuff. They can market everything. Uh, speaking of this, this is also Dreamcast with the first mainstream system to use computer parts. Basically, they used the DirectX compatible GPU. <laughs> um, which and also it can run Windows. Person. Yes. Um, they, which kind of go, Yeah. Um, also, this was the first games because they were the first ones. They ran 480p. For those of you that may not realize, we run 1080p now or whatever we hey. do now. They they run in hey. 480p. 480p was big time for me then. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, they could use basically what is known as a VGA, the virtual graphics adapters or whatever. And that is why the controller was hated so much. I I, ho I really believe that the VGA <laughs> is why everyone hated the controller. Because, like, you, they always were dead. The batteries didn't last. It was just a big-ass eyesore in the controller just sitting there. And they were expensive. Yeah. But, and then as kind of, as uh, Charles said, um, they, might, they worked with Microsoft to implement Windows CE at the time. And so, yes, you could actually browse the internet and everything, which we'll kind of get into is, like, probably one of the biggest things Dreamcast does. Before, they also did, like, a bunch of accessories and peripherals. Um, obviously, we had ports for, like, that... That's uh, I put port slows. Port slots were in available in the controller inputs. You had them giant middle things that like a giant hole in there. Um, this was where basically we talked about memory cards, where you could put memory storage and everything. And they actually developed what are called virtual memory units or VMUs. That's what I meant, not VGAs, VMUs. <laughs> yes, the VMUs are probably what killed everything. That thing killed the batteries so much. Yep. Um, they had a Hello Kitty one. I know. Don't worry. We'll get to the hell. They'll get. They made a lot of stuff for the Dreamcast. Um, these virtual thing. Funny thing, if we talk about like kind of how we made 480p, these storage units held 128 kilobytes. <laughs> for those that's of you who don't realize, picture. that's essentially an image you probably download. That's smaller image you download off the internet. Put in perspective, your phone. If you take a picture and look at it, it's probably three megabytes, which means it's three thousand times larger. <laughs> Um, the cool thing about yeah, these I think that's like the entirety of the Ze original Zelda game for our last episode when we talked about that. I think yeah. that's like the size of the Zelda game. 
Yeah. That's oh actually not great for a console <laughs> that comes out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's These specs that we'll get to here is just crazy when you start thinking about it. But these little virtual memory units, they obviously had generic memory card ones. You had generic, like, you know, the jump packs and the rumble packs and the store thing. But they also made them what they were doing Thinking Future. They had LCD screen ones in which you could literally play mini, mini games on. You could check your saves. You could check the stuff. It had a screen built in. You could do private messages on this. You could even call your own plays on there in 2K. So instead of having to use a screen and people screen watching you while you played your played your phone. Yeah, so they'll just listen to you say it. <laughs> and I think you could raise the the little creatures in Sonic Adventure. Yes. Yeah, you had the little like uh, I don't remember what the heck those things are, so but it yeah. Was a Chaos, cow, chow. Yeah, cow. System. <laughs> And uh, aim. Uh, it was doing too much. It was doing too yeah. much. It was like the Wii U. You're doing too much. Yeah. It was amazing. It did so much stuff. But I mean, obviously, people talk about all the screen cheating while you're calling your plays. You know, was it great to call your play in a little pack in the middle of your controller? Question Could it play Snake? It probably could have. I, I actually it think there. it could. It, I, I believe it probably could have if it was existed then. Considering some of the little mini games and stuff they had, like the one he was referring to, the Tamagotchi Sonic Adventure ones, it could definitely play Snake. What? I just found the best thing ever. There was a pink one. Oh yeah, I know there. I many, know there many, 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 many yes. uh, different color accessories for these things. Holy yes. crap! Yeah. No, but like uh, a whole ass pink case. I, I, I know. <laughs> oh, I pink know. console. Okay, I thought you yeah, were like just the, the console VMU. itself. Yeah. Um, they also had audio outputs, so they were actually putting, like, buff with, uh, microphones. You could actually do voice chat. Um, they, had, they used keyboard and mouse accessories, where you could plug a keyboard and mouse in it and play your games like that. Um, but also, did anybody play Sega Bass Fishing with the little fishing controller? No, I never touched it. Okay, no, so I, never, well, yes. I, pl- I played it, but I, I owned the game, but I never had the controller. Because, obviously, like I said, I could get whatever game I wanted. Um, but, yes, apparently this fishing control was, like, you're basically... One, it was just funny and saw it. But it was actually, like, really the first, like, motion controllers. Um, everything that you would get from the Wii, you already kind of saw being made on the Dreamcast. <laughs> All these motion controllers and everything. Um, it was also the first console to use, basically, a higher capacity optic disc than, the, like, bas- your generic CD. They used their own developed thing called a GD-ROM, or basically... A graphics disc instead of a, you know, CD, um, and it held a massive one point two gigabytes, which is actually that's... really surprising. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, that makes more sense for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, this was also the only console of this generation that used CD technology instead of DVD technology, which kind of was also plays a role in their downfall. Of if everybody remembers, you could play DVDs on your PlayStation Two. Well, you could only listen to CDs on your Dreamcast. But also this meant that um, it was a giant mistake because it also meant you could burn games onto basic CDs. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, me either. <laughs> Buy a nice pack of 10, you know, 10 80-minute CDs. You had 10 brand-new Dreamcast games. <laughs> so I did wait to say this, but my same friend who had the Dreamcast she had like seven games, and I don't think any of them were actually real. Like, I think they all came from the Fulga or from the from the flea market. Nice. Yeah, I own yeah, some man, of the games. Back in those days, it was real easy to print off like the cases and get the yes. cases and yep. make them look like it's yep. super easy. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. hard back then. Yeah, 
It's Wild Wild West back then. It also looked like cool technology because everybody remembers the play- first PlayStation with the black, the black, uh, I guess, yeah. reader part. And then you go to like a Dreamcast disc, and you're like, oh, this looks like a CD. Well, basically because it kind of was a CD, but it made for games because <laughs> it held extra capacity, but it realized they kind of messed up. They, so the funny thing, you stole all your games. I didn't steal all of them. I bought the new ones, like the 2K games. I actually, actually, the first few 2K games, I actually legitimately owned, and a lot of the beginning games I did. But then Napster comes around, which we'll get into. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was also a modular device, which is also meant it was designed to add and remove component parts as new things were made and developed. So obviously, we had the Sega, uh, the Sega 3D. 32x bit thing which was kind of the first thing well with the when they were designing this one they designed it to add more components remove components and everything so it was a thing you could take apart and put together as pieces and so all this to say is this all these great amazing specs that were all like first ever or whatever basically this thing had 16 megabytes of ram eight megabytes of video ram and it ran off 128 bit cpu processor Put that in perspective, it put, takes about 100 gigabytes to download Call of Duty these days. <laughs> and it's absurd. It and I hate it. To, to download <laughs> yes. the, uh, the update, which yeah. my Xbox keeps telling me, do you want to make room? No, I don't. That's a large update and I've quit. I'm not giving you any more. So, so yes, rude we, and inconsiderate. Yes. So we were fighting over games nowadays that are gigabyte, terabytes, and they were messing in the megabytes, which is about 1,000 times less than one gigabyte. But yeah, the, this hardware stuff is all basically first of its kind. Obviously, we'll get more and everything. But as much as this was, probably the biggest thing that they did is internet. And it's kind of how the Dreamcast got its name of Dream and Broadcast. Dreamcast. Never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Never realized that. But um, they're quote-unquote... Their quote-unquote business model, which sounds awfully familiar today's age, is a, a cheap network device that provides services and products through the internet. This was definitely ahead of its time. Two years. Just yeah. two years. It actually is probably a little farther ahead of its time when we get to the actual internet part. Maybe not the software and hardware per se, but it definitely is when it gets to the internet part. So obviously, this is the first console to ever have online capabilities. It had a built-in modem capabilities, had Ethernet connectivity. It actually had its own internet called the SegaNet, and then the and in the UK called the Dream Arena. The Dream uh, Arena. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is actually their own internet service providers, in which they provide the internet to do all your Sega services, like whether it be I... email, web browsing, playing games, everything. I want to meet the marketer who came up with all these names. (laughs) I don't know. But what people tend to forget also is this is a time when internet was actually free. I know we all now are poor trying to afford internet, but for a long time, when internet came around, internet was free. And so this is all basic free internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It had, you could do online gaming, whether it be playing against people or whether it be playing the first RPG game. Um, It had a web browser. You could surf the web, which was cool in the 90s, though, surf the web. Um, so yeah, it had a whole internet browser. Um, they even had potentially a phone, uh, Dreamcast phone VMU thing or slot portal slot where you could make phone calls. That was what they were trying to do. I didn't know um, that part. Yeah. Um, I've only se- I've seen the product. I don't know how much it is because a lot of this stuff eventually ended up being exclusive to Japan and didn't make it, especially as the pricing got up. Um, 
But apparently what we know as cloud storage, storage uh, they were trying to do on the Dreamcast via the telephone and cell phone. Where you could basically use the internet and your cell phone connect it and basically transfer your game, da game data across to multiple consoles. Mm. This is in 1998. In 1997 in development and everything. 99. Yeah. Um, they have webcams. They had cameras that you could plug in. They had microphones. Anything that we're probably using right now, they were already trying to develop to put into a Dreamcast controller and then to attach to a Dreamcast. <laughs> and kind of put it in perspective, we talked about like ahead of its time, the PS2 basically doesn't really have online play to like the end and doesn't ever touch it. I mean, I think it's there, but nobody hardly uses it. And Xbox Live doesn't even launch until 2002. So ahead of its time. <laughs> I, I used my PS2 to play one game online, and that was Final Fantasy XI. Yeah, I played that on PC, but yes, it's still definitely worth it. Um, also, this was all done on 56K dial-up internet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we fight over megabytes and gigabyte downloads and uploads, and they were doing 56K. So, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, this was definitely on for time. So kind of, I guess, getting to the, as, like, it was kind of the hardware, the software that we did all well. Some of the best stuff we had was, and we kind of mentioned before, it was the games. And obviously I want to mention some of the top games, and we kind of discuss, like, some of your favorites and what you played. But essentially, we get the NFL 2K series. These games are all critically acclaimed, even as they move forward, which ends up leading, essentially, to the, to the license wars between EA and 2K. Um, we get Fantasy Star Online, which is the first ever online RPG game on a console. We get Crazy Taxi, which is probably one of the first games from an arcade brought to the console. <laughs> uh, obviously, we get Sonic Adventures 1 and 2, which is obviously Sonic Adventures being the highest-selling Dreamcast game. It was the first 3D platforming Sonic game. Still and actually, the probably best the only one. one. Yeah, still the best, probably my favorite Sonic game, or at least probably the second one is, but even the first one's really good. Uh, Virtual Tennis was actually a really good <laughs> franchise for a while. I completely forgot about it. I looked up, oh, yeah, I played a shit ton of this game. Um, as we mentioned, Shimu. Which is essentially was one of the most expensive games. Shamu. My bad. <laughs> Shimu, you know, Simu. I was going to say, maybe that's his pet name for Shimu. That's fine. Yeah. Shenmu, which is probably one of the most expensive games ever developed, which we get this from a Dreamcast. Uh, Skies of Arcadia, which is probably the best known Final Fantasy clone ever, and probably one of the best, like, type of those games. Um, obviously, Resident Evil Code Veronica. The best Resident Evil game ever, and if they ever remake it, I'm going to be very mad. That game was originally designed and everything. And it was the first non-PlayStation uh, Resident Evil game or on a different a non-PlayStation platform. And it was designed for um, Dreamcast. And then Soul Calibur. We get Soul Calibur from the Dreamcast. One of my favorite fighting games ever. I guess I gotta <laughs> thank the Dreamcast for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you all had any other favorites. These are just kind of some of the highlights I picked out. Um, there was a lot of great games. Um, gaming. Oh. oh, I got some games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as like the ones that are like staples that you have to mention, I feel like Dead or Alive could be included in that conversation as far as the fighting games go. Um, yeah, um, DOA come there first. I wasn't sure if DOA Saturn. I think was yeah, the first. I, said, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, like I said I knew it was from Sega and DOA. I didn't know if it, it didn't necessarily come to Dreamcast, but I know it was very big on the Dreamcast, which is also why it kinda... one of my favorite fighting. games. Yeah, like it, it. I, I didn't give a crap about the the Sega Saturn version, obviously, but playing it on Dreamcast, I was like, this is one of the most beautiful and like fluid looking fighting games. Even like I loved Soul Calibur. Dead or Alive Two. Yeah, Dead or Alive Two. It looks so good. 
I was going to make a physics joke about the fluidity you mentioned. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that age, I probably was recognizing that. Like, oh, well, this looks wonderful. But I, but to your point, I think a lot of people overlook the, like how much more beautiful Dead or Alive was to play than a lot of other games, physics aside. Big time. Well, also, like I said, um, obviously we have the NBA 2K series, which actually rivaled NBA Live and eventually overtook it. Starts from the Dreamcast as well, um, which was also a very good one. Alan Iverson's college on the football, cover. College football, too. Yes, college football was also a great one, even though their recruiting was a little weird at the time, <laughs> but I did play a lot. Um, all, except we get a lot of games coming in, and they get a lot of creative in, like, this is a big peak for, like, gaming in general, which I saw a lot, like, talked about when I was doing a lot of these notes of, like, People wonder, like, because just because of, I guess, I don't know if it was just because of how easy it was to develop or how everything it was and whatnot else, but, like, you get a lot of creative games during this time, and basically Dreamcast, I think, was the first console to ever have, like, a, a basically a acclaimed game on, in every single genre at mm. the time. Yep. So, like, obviously other games, you know, Mario, you're big on Nintendo, you know, so you have action, adventure, whatever, but no, Dreamcast a game for every single genre, and they all hit. Also, Kate, that graphic thing you're talking about, depending on the graphics hardware, but also, basically, because it ran at 480p, it actually looked a lot better because it's kind of like the HD of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Which you don't get on PlayStation 2. So it actually, no. the graphic yeah, could actually no, come better. I mean, I completely believe it. That's the reason so many uh, so many female characters on PlayStations had braids was because it was easier to make with the limited polygons than actual mm. hair. I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah, the um, yeah the the games just look amazing. Also, like I think, like I said, looking at like can we go back and we've made jokes as we've been doing our basically parade in the '80s and '90s game franchise, which is we think would be we're just being retrospective, but everybody keeps re-releasing them, so we have to keep talking about them. But uh, yeah, the Dreamcast games look fantastic and amazing, especially when we go back and look at like some of the '64 games, the old PlayStation games, PlayStation Two games. You're like, wow, yeah. this Dreamcast looks amazing. Yeah. Um. Power Stone. Just wanted to throw that out there. Power Stone is another one that's a staple, <laughs> and like, yeah, we've. It's very sad that that franchise is not like running alongside a lot of other fighters or party fighters or similar games. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. People, you know, people just don't realize how many games actually were available and how much were good. Obviously, I'm. Had... Oh, sorry. I was gonna say I'm looking at at the Soul Cow on the Dreamcast, and I actually feel real bad that I never played it on Dreamcast because it looks better than... Yeah, yeah, it looks better than most. Really good. Like, I, I think eventually... Good, good. I was going to say, I think essentially they said obviously Sony had like a few years to develop and stuff, which will kind of, you know, which will kind of Dreamcast set the, you know, precedent for a lot of things, but like, I, you know, so... The uh, Dreamcast was actually like less powerful, I think, eventually, by the, compared to the PlayStation Two. But compared to like graphics and some of the other stuff, it just was so much better. <laughs> yeah, it, it really held up really well. Because, um, like SoulCal, the first SoulCal on a Dreamcast looks better than SoulCal Two on the GameCube, which is blowing my mind. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting. I didn't know that uh, Crazy Taxi was the first arcade game to come to consoles. But I always thought it was interesting. I didn't, yeah, yeah, I saw that. In if the it's notes. not, then I made a mistake. But from what everything I saw, it was like the first one that I saw. Like, e even if it wasn't, that was always something that uh, stood out to me was that arcade games were on Dreamcast. It was the first time that yes. I'd ever 
recognize that. Like Crazy Taxi was the first one I got. Uh, the San Francisco Rush games, uh, NASCAR, Daytona, their their arcade version was on Dreamcast as well. Um, and, and even games like Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur I actually saw in arcades first before I saw it yep. on Dreamcast. So it was really cool. I felt like that, I think that gave me the impression that the Dreamcast was such an incredibly powerful console because these arcade games were on it yeah. too, you know? And, and that was one of the things they looked at in development is they wanted to bring a lot of these arcade games to the console, and that was kind of what they thought process, which kind of going back to the VMUs, you could take your VMU and they were integrating them into the actual arcade where you could take your data and plug it into an arcade game. Dreamcast was so far <laughs> ahead of everything. Gosh. Oh. Um. Which kind of goes, I guess, into my last, but why, though, kind of its legacy, which we've kind of mentioned how so far or anything, it, it eventually does set the precedent for many consoles to come. Uh, sooner or later, consoles start moving towards computer GPUs and CPUs instead of making their own custom hardware. They started saying, hey, we can just, you know, grab something that's already available instead of having to spend years developing some new thing. Um, for better or worse at this point, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, obviously the anti-piracy, everybody saw what happened to the Dreamcast games, and so when they went to DVD technology, they uh, definitely made sure you could not, uh, burn games on there, that's why, my, trust me, one, first things I ever did when I got my first Xbox, uh, was try to see if the burn games the way you could do, because the discs looked the same, I'm like, oh, these both look like regular CDs, yeah, they didn't run like regular CDs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, obviously it didn't help, you know, like I said, because this is about time when we get music, uh, you know, coming up with piracy, Napster comes along in this time, and then other free software programs, and so basically people are just burning games. I mean, even some of the Sega companies have even gone through and told you how you could get, like, as the years gone by, it became a regular practice just to burn games. I think now it's almost like, not really promoted, but, you know, kind of like encouraged, like, here, so you can have some of these games that you cannot find. Um, obviously, internet and online gaming, um, obviously that ends up becoming a big thing. Uh, these VP VMUs, as much as we hated them, they killed our controllers and they looked weird and clunky and everything. They did lead to like basically remote apps of like kind of how we have now, where you can access Destiny from your phone and all this other stuff. I'm thinking this ways of through. I mean, the VMU is essentially a Game Boy Mini before Game Boy Minis existed. <laughs> um, obviously, cross, co cross console saves, voice chat. Um, even the hardware way to develop things, it's just all of this stuff, basically, it just comes out and they're like, oh, cool. But it was a, kind of like the overall timing we said, it was a revolutionary console that was kind of a year's way ahead of time, but it also comes out by a company that's broke. So essentially they can't afford to keep supporting it, and that's pretty much why they cut it off finally. Not some, I mean, as much as it was not quite make, meeting sales instead, but it wasn't like it was failing. It was one of those, like, you know, they were like, we projected five million, we only sold four million. So obviously we would cut a loss, and you do that enough times, and you've already burned through all your reserves, you have to cut your losses at some point. And Sega basically cut their losses. Instead of going for broke, uh, they cut it, this Dreamcast, and that's how they were able to basically reestablish their company. Um, obviously this comes during the rise of Sony. Um, it does come technically in one of probably people, maybe not the best console generation, but probably like the second best console generation between the PlayStation 2, the Xbox, and then GameCube, whatever that happened. Um, <laughs> I don't care for a GameCube. I think GameCube is a terrible console. She's about to do a GameCube Matters episode. <laughs> we will. Tired of the slander. Tired of the slander. This Dreamcast is probably way ahead of anything Nintendo ever did. 
Um, but no, it comes out two Pikmin years before. I would like to have a conversation with you. <laughs> it comes out two two years before all these others. Uh, people also tend to forget that this year's uh, PC gaming also played a kind of effect. Because, obviously, we said Dream and Broadcaster thing. But one of the things that they were looking at doing this was bridging that gap between PC gaming and, um, essentially console gaming which what we see nowadays but that's what they were trying to do right here also because pc gaming was so amazing in 98 99 that didn't help but it was growing and for those who don't remember we get starcraft Baldur's gate half-life everquest the start of the roller coaster tycoon um unreal tournament um i think fallout 2 comes out um there's a list and list of games where if you go like top games for pc like in pc gaming years 98 and 99 are like probably two of the best years ever for pc gaming and so that so obviously period. doesn't help as well. So. <laughs> yeah. Huh? That was a very strong period, and no, it, did, it definitely did not help. <laughs> yeah. So all these things just kind of like stack up against this Dreamcast, and it sucks. Um, but as much as the funny thing is we're having this episode, it's still a very highly rated console. Like, if you go to, like, it wasn't like it had bad ratings. Like, it's still, like, if you look at, like, overall ratings, people still give it 9s, 9.5s, 8.5s. Um, I think Games Radar as of 2018 had it as its fourth best console of all time. I know the most recent IGN list, which I couldn't figure out what the year was, had it at 8. Um, it usually, if you look up a lot of the lists, it falls between the 8 to 10 range, which you think, oh, that's kind of bad. But one, you forget how many consoles there actually been. And also, like, this, you know, as we get more and more technology, it's either to say, like, oh, man, this PlayStation 4 can do a ton. This Dobby is the best console. Well, yeah, you had, like, a 20-year head start. Dreamcast was doing this <laughs> stuff, like, in the 90s. You know, 2017 or something, 2015. But uh, no, it's it did a lot, but it, it said a lot of stuff. It was just kind of it came out at the wrong time, <laughs> it said, it did. or it didn't. I don't know. They they believe it came out at the right time, but it is one of those people thought it should have waited. Yeah, but the the way we've learned that they uh, were burning through money, if they would have waited yeah. two years, they probably wouldn't have been able to put it out. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. That's that's really fair. Yeah. And I think that in between the fact that Sony was really getting a grip on things at this time, like obviously one of the most regarded best consoles of all time, probably the PlayStation 2 for a lot of people, if not, maybe not for a lot. Yeah, it's up there. Maybe, I mean, obviously maybe the Super Nintendo may be up there, but the PlayStation 2 is up there. It was so up there that Sony was okay, like running their own PS3 game sales into the ground by also producing them for the PS2 so long. Yeah. Yes. Like that was one of the reasons that Sony went into trouble, but it was a console that was so successful, they just kept pushing into it. Like, I remember to, up until my last day on GameStop, I, we still had a giant PS2 bin that people still came in and bought like five, six games apiece. I bought a yeah. PS2 game like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> still going for me. Yeah. Um, obviously, I know we can't test on it, but I do know with the Napster and the piracy stuff, um, it was just so cool to do that. It was so fun. You felt like such a hacker person doing that stuff. Oh. Hacker man. <laughs> hacker man. <laughs> you get that T1 cable or get that, you know, better than 56K. You can do it, left it overnight, burn it to this. It's so simple. The closest um, I came to being a hacker on Dreamcast was using Bleem to play my PlayStation games on a Dreamcast. Like you could, you put a disc in, and it runs something, and then you put a PlayStation disc in there, and you can play it. And it it told me that it looked better on there, so I told my friends it looked better on there. I don't think it looked that much different, <laughs> but yeah, that was my hacker man moment. 
But yeah, people don't realize because obviously, like, oh, piracy happens. Think like burning, being able to burn a disc. Because obviously, if much as helped, this didn't help sales at all either. When people learned this out, and there, I mean, much as it was me, there was I had like seven other friends who all had Dreamcasts, and they're like, "This is the greatest system in the world." What do we want to buy this week? Or get this week? <laughs> Not <Netflix>. buy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had to buy the CDs. <laughs> um. But uh, no, but no, like, cause, cause people don't realize is because you can do this on PlayStation Two. We've done it. I mean, I had a modded three sixty at one time too. But it took a lot of like opening the case up, you know, putting the chips in or replacing some of the parts to do it. Versus burning a CD on a, you just literally put it in like you were making your mixtape and you brought it out in like ten minutes and you were done. Yep. Like you were making your mixtape. <laughs> well, that's all it was. It was literally an eighty minute CD. Um, apparently some of the stuff, the funny thing is what I'm reading is apparently it said some of the stuff in the game because the CD was not quite as big as this GR or the GD, uh, ROM thing. Um, they said that some of the game was left out, but I don't ever recall missing any parts of the game when I burnt these things. So I don't know. How would you know if that was the first time you played the game? <laughs> oh, it's weird that the game ended there, but hey, whatever. But I never had that issue. That's the thing. Like, I don't ever recall ever having an issue. Like... I remember playing Sonic Adventure 2 on it, and I still have that. It's Okay, if we ever go back to my parents' house, I can see it. It's just written across a blank white CD. Sonic Adventure 2 in, like, blue ink. Um, a thing, I guess some fun facts. Uh, kind of the Microsoft section of fun facts, as we mentioned them with Windows and they work together. Basically, Sega and Microsoft almost had this console partnership thing. Like, this whole thing integrated. And one, I'm not saying we would never get an Xbox at all, but without the Dreamcast, um... Basically, the Dreamcast makes it possible to get an Xbox. For sure. The, enti- all, the entire Xbox is basically inspired and all based off of this Dreamcast. Um, also, it's funny because the original Xbox, for a while, um, Sega was in partnership because what they wanted to do was they wanted to make Dreamcast games compatible with Xbox games. So where you could play a Dreamcast game on Xbox and vice versa. And apparently, they almost had this deal, but the problem was they wanted online services and Microsoft didn't want to pay for the, the online Sega services. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which people don't realize is another reason why they're hemorrhaging so much money is because we got free internet, free ser- online services, all these servers, all this stuff, this whole web browser stuff, all cost money that Sega was footing the bill while the customers got to play and do stuff online. They did it for us, everyone. They, they, they did it for us, Kate. They did it all for us, Adrian. <laughs> now I gotta pay $60 for an Xbox Live before <laughs> Sega was paying that $60 for me. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, we don't uh, have that anymore. We just gotta pay fourteen ninety nine for Game Pass. Sega was still yeah, paying that for me. <laughs> yeah, where's Sega at now? Uh, <laughs> Maybe they shouldn't have paid for everybody. In Hollywood, Adrian. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, over the years, it's been compared you know, to the X- best picture because it was one of three films that came out this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, over the years, it's best we compared to the Xbox that I just mentioned. Some even call it the Xbox zero point five. And they actually say that the Xbox 360 is literally just the sequel to the Dreamcast. It makes sense. And, and honestly, listen to you say it. I mean, that that is... You're never going to match what a computer can do in a console. But I think the trajectory of consoles has been to get closer to that. And at least from Microsoft's side. So it, it, it makes sense that Dreamcast sets that foundation because... Everything that you're saying is literally what the 360 brought into practice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, yeah. it was basically um, the prototype for every generation afterward. 
Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I linked the note uh, article, one of these old articles of the similarities that was done in 2005 between the 360 and the Dreamcast. And basically, these similarities are crazy all the way down to essentially it went from a big, bulky, black console, like case console, to a white, sleek, small case with a circle logo. But a That eventually had a black case. They both but, had giant controllers. That's good. A lot of the controller <laughs> inspiration... As we go to the controller, a lot of the controller inspiration was said to be, like, especially when you look at the Dreamcast controller, ends up being in that first Xbox controller. I know, and I told you I played fighting games on it. <laughs> That's, I mean, you could do that with the Dreamcast. It was a big controller. But, uh... Now, there's a lot of fun similarities to look at between the two, and they say that. Um, going back, the original project name was Katana. Because it cut their profits in half. <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting to do that this whole time. <laughs> yeah, not wrong. Um, and then, obviously, we talked about all these peripherals and accessories they had, but they also made different models of the actual Dreamcast, including, and mostly we were all exclusive to Japan, but includes... They had a Hello Kitty Dreamcast. They had a Resident Evil Code Veronica Dreamcast. I looked that one up. It wasn't that great. It was just a star sticker on the top. Don't know. That's just what it had. Um, Toyota even had their own special edition Dreamcast. <laughs> um, and then they even had thing called a Driver 2000 CX-1, which was the shape of a Sonic's head with a built-in TV and s- s- software for doing teleconferencing. Oh my god! I want a teleconference off of Sonic the Hedgehog's head. Oh, this is amazing! I want one. (laughs) I really want the Hello Kitty one because the Hello Kitty one is amazing, and I would buy that today. And I miss the early two thousands. Let's make this clear plastic that has a color tint to it aesthetic, and I want it back. I did like those aesthetics. Not gonna lie. I want them back so much. Which also, by the way, we're talking about all these custom things. This leads to Microsoft doing all the custom cases, all the custom peripherals and everything because of what Sega did with the Dreamcast. Microsoft, I would never complain because I have my R2-D2 360 sitting back there. Yes. Except, I don't know what we end up getting, but like seriously, like as much as we do like the Xbox and what it happens, like a lot of this stuff doesn't have and all this is expired by the Dreamcast. So yeah. we might not get any of this stuff we're getting yeah. without the Dreamcast. And that's not even including like Nintendo finally changes its ways. And go yeah. through like, different stuff and technology because of the Dreamcast. Um, it's pretty I don't huge. Really expect Nintendo as a company for just doing what the hell they want to do and never really paying attention to anything else. Hey man, they they were doing save games before we knew what save games were. We <laughs> talked about that last yes. week. And then they went to memory cards like everybody else. <laughs> they went to memory cards. So thanks, uh, thanks Dreamcast for making memory cards popular. Well, you know, the 64 technically had the first memory cards. Yeah, so. I know, I know, I know. Just give me a hard time. And then they went and made better memory cards. But they also <laughs> killed the controller. <laughs> they killed your controller. <laughs> I did read something while I was doing these notes. Somebody goes, every time I think of Dreamcast, I just get PTSD from the beeping noise for every time I plug that stupid VMU in and my battery we dead. Good old VMU. I was looking at ads, um, and they're they're what you expect. They're like hackery, techie yep. kind of ads. And all. Oh, all of them end with like a lady whispering, "It's thinking." Which <laughs> it's like very in weird. I'm telling you, they're weird marketing. Like that's super weird. Your console's thinking. It's super weird. No, like I, when I meant marketing was weird, it was weird. Um, the funny thing is, when you look at this, if you ever look at the article and the similarities, apparently it was the same type of marketing that Xbox used for the 360. 
I will say my the last thing that I do want to say, especially with this connection between Xbox and the Dreamcast, and obviously I don't own a PS4, so this may have changed, but I know one of our friends who uh, plays PS4 a lot, she was explaining, or they were explaining to us that essentially Xbox is really cool and they love their Xbox because they can get everything, like there are consistently new and customizable controllers that are coming out. There are specialty controllers geared at different games. But when it comes to PlayStation 4, most of the time you have to go through like the the special like modding companies to get you something that looks different than just the here are the five colors. And I think they said that it was changing at the time, but I think the like looking at Dreamcast and how specialized so many of these things were, it definitely made me think of Xbox. And that's been the one thing that Xbox has kept really consistent with. Yeah, Dreamcast so had. I don't have that magenta control yeah. that really matters. So. Dreamcast actually had like the fighting sticks and joysticks and everything for fighting games at the time. Like they had, if there was a peripheral out there or accessory or something you thought, they probably had it. Did they have a duck hunt gun? They didn't need to because they had a fishing rod. That was a <laughs> controller. <laughs> um, like I said, keyboard. Like I said, we we talk about how it took so long to play keyboard and mouse. Also, oh, that was the last fun fact. Last fun fact, probably thing. Um, there were actually games towards the end of the thing where like Quake Three and stuff. You could actually play PC to Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, play, uh, Unreal stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I never, I never touched that. the The only online play, other than sports, that I did on Dreamcast was actually Fantasy Star Online. That was like my probably my first online gaming experience. I didn't get too deep into it though, uh, because I was also a chicken, and parts of that game scared me. Um, <laughs> but it was pretty, it was pretty surreal, like seeing a bunch of other characters and like lobbies and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. It was super cool. Yeah. I know I played a lot of the, obviously, the sports stuff. I did do the surf to web stuff just because it was fun. And then, obviously, I did play Fantasy Storm. And I was kind of like, you wouldn't necessarily chicken. I just ended up playing the other games more. Mm. And when you have the entire library at choice, it's kind of hard to play. You can admit you're chicken just like me. It's okay. That's all right. <laughs> but, no, it was, just, it was fascinating. I just remember booting up the first time I played some random person in 2K online. And I was just like, this is amazing. And then I did a juke and he missed. And then I scored a touchdown and they quit. And I'm like, yeah! I'm like, what happened here? What are we doing? Groundbreaking stuff. I never used a microphone with the, with the Dreamcast. I never used a microphone either. That I know, no, I did not yeah, use. We didn't need to get in, introduced to the toxic gaming community at that point. I had, yeah. Xbox saved that. that, that oh, I, I, oh I got all that from the Xbox. Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, but no. uh, any other final thoughts? Because that's about all I have. Please release Hello Kitty versions of every current console. I will buy them. That's my <laughs> final thought. Uh, that isn't a skin. That isn't a skin. Uh, I'll say one interesting thing about the Dreamcast was like, despite all of these things happening behind the scenes that were screaming that this is a terrible thing to do business-wise... Uh, as a child with my Dreamcast, I could not have been happier. I had incredible games across all genres. I was so happy. I didn't, like I said, I didn't know it was dead when I bought it. I was just getting like, I was like, these games are on sale and it's amazing. Everything's cheap. Uh, and I enjoyed every single moment that I had with the Dreamcast. And yeah, that's my, my last statement on it. Awesome. Adrian, did you have anything? 
Uh, no, I mean, I didn't really play too much of the Dreamcast, but I do appreciate like what it does like as the console, so we get other stuff. I think one of the coolest things that I like about and even like Nintendo does do their own things. They did in the early days of the console push stuff, Dreamcast push stuff, Xbox push stuff, and then like Sony still said, "Yeah, we're just gonna do the same thing over and over and over and over again for years, and we're not gonna share our stuff." Um, <laughs> so even though Xbox does take a lot from the Dreamcast, I think we're better for for that doing those improvements. So like um, Xbox Live going to like broadband and things like that. Like that stuff doesn't happen without Dreamcast doing the dial up stuff first. Uh, so I think I just really appreciate that. Yeah, um, obviously the Dreamcast my favorite console. Best console ever built. I don't care what you say. It was ahead of its time. It was a time traveler lost in time. <laughs> I um, but no. Um, this is really just Matt's epic poem to the Dreamcast. I love the Dreamcast. Like Charles said, like the Dreamcast, like my best memories of playing games and stuff, people, as much as I talk about the Xbox and we talk about Nintendo, my the, those two, three, two, I guess three years, depending on how you do it, you know, with the Dreamcast, was great and pretty much every one of my friends owned it like we all didn't own you know all some of the other consoles and everything but we all owned a dreamcast i don't know why maybe just because the game just because of what it was but we all owned dreamcast it had some of my favorite games some of my favorite franchise it it still looks great like as we talked about it pushed for innovation and everything and i guess i as we talked about like innovation and doing stuff forward i'm not saying companies aren't doing stuff forward but like when you look at what was on the market compared to what Dream Sega threw out with this Dreamcast, I don't know if we ever see a jump like this. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty massive <laughs> jump. Yeah, and just like just the thinking that they did of like we're thinking of internet and we're thinking of like the future and project stuff. Like I said, just reading that business model stuck with me of cheap network devices that provide services and products through the internet. That is literally almost every single thing we do now. That's <laughs> <laughs> very true. <laughs> And that was in 19, basically 97, 96 when they started development of this thing. And and so just like it, it holds a special place in my heart. I like it. Um, I did. I do want to give it one more shout out. To, I read an article. I believe it's from US Gamer. It was like from like 2014, 2015. And they talked about what if Dreamcast had won. And they talked about how much innovation, whether not only just from a platform standpoint, but from a game standpoint, that Dreamcast ends up innovating into the actual industry itself between all this and i'll probably we can probably link that in the show notes but it was actually a pretty good read of just like how much said creativity and innovation that ends up the dreamcast does for the gaming industry in general at this time yeah i definitely want to check that out awesome well thank you so much for coming on Charles. thank you for having me um why don't you tell everybody where they can find you uh i'm on twitter almost too much uh at the t-h-e underscore c-s-j-r uh, that's like the main place to follow me. Um, but I work in the industry. I'm with Evolve PR, so you're going to see me talking about a lot of awesome games from a bunch of different clients. There's some crazy, crazy awesome things coming out. And a lot of these games we kind of need in this time uh, to kind of give you peace of mind and, and, a, and a bit of escape from the real world. So, yep, find me on there. Follow me on Twitter. Engage with me. I talk about Batman dying a lot on Twitter. So, and you slander Goku a lot. I slander Goku because he's a terrible father. I slander. Hey man, I need to. Get, <laughs> you know, we gotta get out of here. We can have a bad father uh, in fiction or bad characters episode one day. I'll, I'll come on and slander them all. <laughs> Adrian, are you wearing a Dragon Ball Z shirt right now? <laughs> 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 
perfect. <laughs> uh, but right, I got the real dad in the back anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, there you go. See, that's he knows. He knows what's up. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, you can find the podcast at Butwider PC on all of our social medias, and you can find us on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/ButwiderPC if you want to support the show a little more and get access to all of our research notes and such. And you can find me at Oh My Myth Randier on Twitter, Adrian. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z 93. Matt? I'm going to go cry. <laughs> <laughs>